Infinite Creator, you are this mystery of unity. Inside you, everything recapitulates your being, your glory, your self-discovery and experience of yourself. Thus, when we experience our catalysts every day, it's not just meant for our learning, but you learn through us and with us and in us. And that mystery of union and unity truly delights and warms us. And we ask that you bless this meeting tonight. And we seek the highest and greatest way to serve you. And we thank you for this opportunity. Amen. Well, <clears throat> I, um, what I want to just introduce today is something that I've been pondering now for a few years. And this comes from 20 plus years of being a therapist, um, a lot longer being a human, and also the past 10 years since I uh, discovered the law of one was led to it by Troy and really delved into it. And so what you're getting tonight, I hope, is an understandable way to go to a little bit of a deeper level in the, in the raw material, the law of one material. And I'm going to try to bring in uh, psychotherapy or psych psychological themes as well as metaphysical themes because if it's true, then it has to be true on multiple levels. Otherwise, it's not true, you know? And what I have found um, that is both true archetypally, so we're going to talk a little bit about that, but also true, I think, especially for us who are therapists, and there's several of us here, uh, I think we'll see that this is true for people that we are given to serve. We also have several uh, ministers or pastors as well here. So I, I think you know, anybody, any of us who have walked um, with other people can maybe hopefully attest to this. So what I'm going to offer this model as, you know how skin has different layers, the epidermis and the dermis and so on and so forth. Um, <clears throat> I began to think about what would be a skin metaphor to describe our current human condition um, that is both true in psychology and spirituality and also true in the raw material, in the law of one. And also, what would be a way to go through this condition into um, a greater awareness and a, and a way through all of this? And Ra calls this the rules of the game, <laughs> the rules of the game. Um, <clears throat> and so we're going to explore these things. So I'm calling it the skin of primal human suffering and the way through, a law of one presentation. Now, <clears throat> what I'd like to, uh, if, if you're not familiar with the law of one, um, I, hopefully you'll understand this. And if you are, this will be a reminder that we are already one. We are already connected to each other. We are already one with the one infinite creator. And what I call the mystery of universal union and unity. That's my term for God, if you will. Uh, but <clears throat> along the God's own process of learning about God's self, uh, God realized that at the third density level, which is the level of bandwidth of consciousness that you and I uh, see as reality, we are all third density beings, um, the logoi, the different, uh, if you will, um, sentient, individuated gods within this larger god, discovered that if they put a veil of forgetting, a veil of forgetting that we are in union with creation and with the creator and with each other, 
that if you put that veil of forgetting in between the consciousness and the unconscious in the third density experience, then uh, those beings, those third density beings, will go much more quickly, much more intensely into uh, choosing of their polarity. Polarity meaning, am I going to go to service to others, which is the positive polarity, or service to self, the negative polarity. And then these two polarities create catalysts for each other, which is work. You know, if you take uh, a light bulb and you put a positive and a negative and you turn the switch, the light bulb comes on. <laughs> if you only have positive or only have negative, there's no um, working. And so <clears throat> this was a great discovery by the creator through these kinds of experimentations. The veil is semi-permeable. Okay, it can feel thick, but it is always semi-permeable. There's, there's a way that we can uh, go through the veil in different ways. And that's one of the, way, one of the things that we're going to be talking about because Ra in the Law of One talks uh, a very, very great way that is totally consistent with psycho psychology. So we have this veil of forgetting. And what happens... You, what happens to the human psyche when this veil of forgetting is drawn? Well, it seems to me good psychology and good spirituality all affirm that fear is the most primal emotion. Now, this is usually so unconscious that we are often not aware of it. But fear, um, and I'll read this verbatim from the slide here, Primal fear due to our fundamental perception of being exiled or cut off and separate from source. We fear that we don't belong. We fear for our survival. We fear that we don't matter. We fear that there is no purpose. Now, if, if you and I, before the veil that was drawn, okay, this, because uh, there were third density experiences before the uh, creator discovered to put the veil in the third density experience. Uh, one of the reasons why is because third density beings probably didn't uh, go on to fourth density for millions of years because they're, if you're attached completely as in an umbilical cord to the creator and you have complete and total gnosis, which is lived experiential reality, total gnosis of being one with everything, uh, then there's no fear that is too great. There's no joy that is too great. There's no love that's too great. There's really, it's a culture in monochrome, as Ross says. It's all, it's all gray. <laughs> no contrast. Um, but when you draw that line <clears throat> in between the consciousness and unconscious, uh, the first real primal response for the human is fear because at the deeper level than fear we already know that we're one but it's so far down there that we don't have usual access to it it's more of just a a throb or a haunting or an urgency somewhere deep down inside we know we're one but everything about our experience usually um, especially if we've had challenging childhoods would suggest that we are cut off that we're not one you know and fear would be that primal first layer of the skin of human suffering. Now, the second one is shame and sadness. And I'm really borrowing a lot from Brene Brown. Perhaps you're familiar with some of her work. Um, if you're not, you know, treat yourself and, and do some research on YouTube of her. But primal shame resulting from the feeling so existentially insecure due to our apparent, not true, but apparent unworthiness of belonging and subsequent exile. We feel a primal sadness due to perceiving ourselves alone, separated, alienated, cut off, and somehow punished. Okay, so there's, uh, we know from sociological research that the greatest punishment that the ancient cultures, and I would argue today as well, 
could ever inflict on anybody would, would actually not be to kill them. The greatest punishment would be exile, excommunication, cutting off and sending out and you are no longer apart. Now, that hit so deeply in our primal unconscious, um, this shame, and it is the sense of being fundamentally unworthy of belonging, unworthy of love. Now, it's not true, but it does arise from that primal layer fear. So the second layer would be shame. Um, and then, of course, depression. Sometimes you might think of it as an existential depression would be the result of that shame, that shame that just sits and, and simmers for years until it's addressed. Now, what I am about to say I think is true for uh, men, most uh, primarily men, but, but also in the Western world, you might say men and women, but I have seen it a lot in men. And that is, we, the third layer is anger and bellicosity. Okay. Men are culturally given a green light to feel and to express anger. Anger is not bad. It is an emotion, but it's often, um, I'm going to say, two steps removed from the, uh, the veil of, you know, two steps removed from God, if you will, because anger is accepted and men feel comfortable sharing this and feeling it and, and then reacting from it. But if you go down in through the anger, you're going to find shame and sadness. And if you go down, you're going to find the fear. But uh, we, especially in the Western world, we have um, equivalated uh, expressing vulnerability, which is what shame and fear to to be able to explore these things and then discuss it uh, that is a vulnerability which is equated to weakness and we're not supposed to be weak we're supposed to be strong anger makes us look strong <laughs> um and one of the main problems i think we see is because anger is so accepted and then scapegoating and blaming other people is is so uh, normal, what we don't see is we end up entrapping ourselves both individually and, and as a global collective. We trap ourselves inside a closed system that'll be made up of these, these three things. So let me just read <clears throat> um, the anger uh, thing here real quick. Okay. Primal anger due to our unconscious perception that it is not okay to, it is, it is not safe. Sorry, let me read that again. Primal anger due to our unconscious perception that it is not safe to feel fear or shame and sadness, or that it is unsafe to let others know these feelings. We have primal anger due to perceiving life's harshness and messiness as unjust and unnecessary. Fear, shame, and sadness that remain unacknowledged and unprocessed, not together into an energetic epicenter characterized by bellicosity. Now, Ra talks about bellicosity as being the number one diagnostic thing for our collective humanity. And what is bellicosity? Uh, well, one definition could be a warlike worldview which attacks, covets, scapegoats, and oppresses others and the creation. Okay? So we could even see climate change as being part of our global bellicosity. We're oppressing creation, oppressing second density life, you know, plants and animals, if you, if you will. And our politics today, both on the left and the right, the scapegoating, the attacks, the coveting of what we think is true. <laughs> now, this is just reality for us, and we don't see anything wrong with it. Often, we're caught up in the systems, and even our religiosities, our dogmas can often 
um, mirror these things and we're not even aware of it. And all of this, if it remains unacknowledged and unprocessed, knots together. So here is, um, again, these are the layers of the skin of primal suffering. Um, just to really quickly give you an archetypal uh, example of this, for those of you who might be uh, familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, we have this played out actually um, with the Genesis story. So the first we have uh, the mystery of union and unity, which is God. And inside the Garden of Eden, Eden, there was no veil. See, this is really an archetypal story about um, third density beings coming uh, into the veil of forgetting. So there was no veil in the Garden of Eden. That would be an allegory to uh, what, what it would have been like without a veil. But once the veil was drawn, which took place when um, the female principle, which... <clears throat> is the unconscious, okay, the unconscious of Eve uh, felt an impulse to explore consciousness without, with, with a veil, and that's that impulse. And so she bit the apple, and then, as Ross says, the unconscious taps the conscious, and the conscious then reacts, okay? And so then Adam responds and... Uh, we get both of them, quote, exiled. But the truth is, is that it was the, that was where the line was drawn between the unconscious and conscious. And the first thing that we see in the biblical narrative is that Adam and Eve were suddenly hiding from God. Uh, you know, this kind of thing. And, um, and they hid behind the bushes. And really, it was the first experience of being cut off and then relating to God, the source, as an I-thou. Before, before that, there, there was a sense of the umbilical cord being totally connected. And now all of a sudden with the veil drawn, there's this sense of we are here, you are there. There is an us and them, an I-thou. And that would be scary <laughs> if you're used to not having that kind of uh, unitive consciousness. <clears throat> now we also, in the biblical narrative, we see... Shame and sadness. Um, Adam and Eve realize that they are vulnerable, which is seen through their being naked. They realize they're naked. So that's biblical speech metaphor for uh, they were vulnerable. And they covered themselves up, you know, all of a sudden covering the, the private parts. Um, and they feel a primal shame for their embodiment and their existence. And they're sad for their new exiled condition which include toil, pain, and intensity, okay? And then lastly, we see how anger is, is passed on uh, to their children, Cain and Abel. Cain feels this anger and covetedness towards his brother Abel, and his bellicosity, the scapegoating and blaming, and uh, leads him to kill Abel. All right, so we see this, this even in the archetypal biblical story, we see how this plays out, um, the skin of primal suffering plays out there in the narrative. So I just wanted to give you that example, that it's not only psychologically cogent, but also we see it in uh, the history of spirituality. <clears throat> okay, so I'm always playing around with different images and having fun with it. Uh, here we have the skin of human suffering, uh, primal human suffering, and I'm trying to show in a way that it's like a rock, okay? So this river is flowing, and then there's a rock in the middle of the river. And now if there weren't rocks, the river would just flow smoothly. There would be no intensity, no rapids, um, no fun maybe, <laughs> no good noises. Uh, but once you put these rocks in there, you do get turbulence. But what happens when you have a big rock like this and the water is going in one direction? <clears throat> uh, and a thing called an eddy. Uh, maybe some of us are not familiar with that word, but an eddy is a, a configuration of flow 
where the water actually gets stuck into a kind of whirlpool because the water will hit that's flowing forward will hit the rock and then bounce back and then start to get taken up again by the water that's flowing forward and then it gets drawn into that flow but then it get, goes right back into the rock so you have this circular motion an eddy where you get stopped and stuck and i've said this before um, please forgive me if i've said it too many times but i really think it's true is that if it is true if something is metaphysically true it's going to be found in the physical world otherwise it's not true and if it's found in the physical world some kind of analog will be found in the metaphysical otherwise it's not true so we can see that the water in a river that's flowing towards a rock is an allegory or physical representation of the energy flow uh, that we might have and then we have a place where energy can get stuck stuck and have a closed circuit to where it just builds and builds okay so we have <clears throat> the primal the layers of the skin of primal suffering which is the rock we have the eddy all this where is it located metaphysically in our collective now also individual so both of these um, but where is it located? Well, it's located in our first three chakras. And so you can see it just, it's like a whirlpool of red and orange and yellow. And that's what Ra says. That would be the colors of this bellicosity, this, this closed circuit. And the energy wants to come up into the heart. It wants to, because that we are all destined and desiring. It's our greatest longing for this energy that comes inside us to move and have its home base in the heart. And then from there, it springs forward to um, more expansive ways of seeing the higher chakras. No one gets to the father except through the sun, the heart, you know? And so this eddy, this rock lives right there. And there is a way, however, to get through this. So now we're going to move into um, the, the ways through. But right prior before I, I say that is I'm inviting us all right now just to take a quick inventory uh, inside yourself, inside myself, ourselves, and notice either right now or if it happens tomorrow, uh, if there are areas in our life where we find it difficult to accept ourselves or to um, see another person or a group of people in a more universal love and understanding energetics, if we can't do that, then we are talking about inside us there's going to be that a little bit of that closed loop that doesn't mean you don't set boundaries so we're going to get to that it does not mean you just say yes everything is fine but it does mean that when we are angry at somebody um, we need we are invited to look inside our anger go a little bit deeper and find in some ways are we feeling things are unjust are we feeling shame deeper and sadness what about our fear? Keep going a little bit deeper. So everything, every catalyst that we have that brings us into um, anger, our sense of bellicosity or our, our tendency to scapegoat and point, uh, every time that happens, those are simple divine invitations for us to go inside and see where this universal bellicose closed thought form that exists in our collective unconscious, how it playing out inside us. Now we're going to move into what Ra says is a good way to go through. Okay. Ra says that <clears throat> the one thing that will stop the wheels of karma, because bellicosity is its own karmic inertia, inertia in the sense of, um, 
when you push an object that stays in motion or is in is is in motion stays in motion so if we have bellicosity and we're growing up with it and we everything in our environment um, continues that thought form then it's gonna stay and grow uh, and so the way that we stop this inertia is through forgiveness and Ross says Quote, in forgiveness lies the stoppage of the wheel of action, or what you call karma. The way out of the inertia of bellicosity is to know and live the rules of the game. And what are these rules? I will read them out loud. There's five of them. The first is to know yourself. The second is to accept yourself. The third is to forgive yourself. The fourth is to balance yourself. And the fifth is to open yourself to more love. Now we're going to unpackage this because our immediate, oftentimes, now maybe you don't, um, but I do, my immediate thoughts on this kind of thing is that these are just guidelines. And if you do one, then you move to the next and you do that when you move to the third in kind of a almost a, a linear way and, and a 2D way, like two-dimensional way. But I think the truth is closer is if we can see that each one of these builds upon themselves. Uh, and so, for example, when we begin to know ourselves, we begin to ask the questions about who am I? I mean, really, who am I? Most people that I have met, um, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna, including myself here too, you know, we really don't know ourselves. Um, because when we think we know, then we'll, if we're spiritually growing, we'll find that we're, there's a whole new mystery to us. When that's the way it should be. But to know ourselves is the first step. And then when we learn to accept ourselves, and we're gonna talk about what these look like, when we learn to accept ourselves, well, you know what? That is also a new kind of knowing, because now you are knowing yourself as someone who can accept themselves. See, it's a new kind of gnosis, a lived experience that is yours. That's what gnosis means. And then when you learn to forgive yourself, well, now that's a new kind of knowing. Now you know yourself as one who accepts themselves and has learned to forgive themselves. All of this comes back to the fundamental proclamation of knowing yourself because ultimately we will know ourselves as as the creator and 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 we'll know ourselves as the creator beyond the concept that i am the creator we'll know it at the gnosis level that it's a lived experiential reality now one way to kind of uh imagine this if you will is <clears throat> um, we've got this this uh, circle here and it's as you can see, the orange and red, orange and yellow, and I'll read it verbatim. It says, to know ourselves means gnosis ourselves, to gnosis ourselves. We have a lived experience of ourselves as, you, as a unique expression of the one infinite creator. Ra talks many times that we are indeed unique, that every entity, whether a subatomic particle or a universe, is a unique being energetic configuration that is um, unseen before and will never be seen again. It's an event of consciousness of God expressed uniquely as you. Okay, And this gnosis will grow and develop as we learn how to play, to really play the rules of the game. Notice play. Uh, Many psychologists now, we, we, all, we are very aware in the literature that um, we in the West have lost the sense of play, how to play, to re-enter our second innocence, if you will. And this is a play. And when we can see our lives and not take us quite so seriously, take ourselves quite so seriously, there's a kind of a joy and delight that emerges in the present moment, in the immediacy of now. That's playing. And, and we can play 
uh, by, by these particular rules, which are the rules of um, God, you could say. Now, uh, we've got... We've got a new layer here because uh, to go into the place of accepting ourselves and forgiving ourselves, <clears throat> we will see it almost as like rain coming down. But before we can forgive ourselves, we do have to accept ourselves. That's the second step. So we have know ourselves and accept ourselves. So let's talk about accept ourselves. Um, I wrote it down very, very um, uh, briefly here. It's to accept ourselves means to take an inventory of our present situation as if you just took a picture of your life and, and you take a good look at it all without judgment. Just take in the data. You know, if I did something that I feel um, shame about or, oh, why did I do that? Sometimes I'll have these ambushes of self bellicosity that just kind of spring out, pop in my, you know, insert themselves in my brain. Um, and that's an opportunity. It's a catalyst right then and there to, to go through these steps. Um, do I really want to know myself? Do I really want to know where that came from? Yeah. And I can accept it. I can accept that in that moment, exactly in that moment, I, as if I took a picture, a Polaroid picture and that picture has all the data. What is going on? Can I see how I got there in that moment, given my history? Does it make logical sense? Doesn't mean you have to like it. It doesn't mean that you just like, oh, I'm accepting and you know, I'm going to hug it and it's all great. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we very seldom can actually take a snapshot of our life and see it with the kind of honesty that I think Ra's inviting us to. Okay? And, and to do this, it is the purview of the orange and yellow energy rays moving into the green. Orange and yellow, this, the energy centers of orange would be this, the self-identity, who I am, and yellow is self in community. Okay? So accepting myself, um, who I am, I think a lot of us back beginning in 2020, culturally, at least we, many of us for the first time, if you're a, a white person, we were kind of learning to see ourselves in a new way, uh, a white, uh, you know, me as a white male, what kind of um, societal privilege does that come with that I was um, up until now unconscious of? You know, that's an accepting. Doesn't mean I have to condemn myself, but it does mean that I have a responsibility to see um, myself in a larger perspective. Now, to forgive ourselves, if you've ever been walking outside and all of a sudden it starts to rain, you don't have your umbrella, well, you can, gr you can grit it or you can relax into it and just let yourself get wet. There's an allowing. And it's of that space spirituality it's of that allowing ilk that practice i think is what it means to forgive ourselves forgive ourselves for the cracks um forgive ourselves uh for not doing it all right you know wiping the we and we can wipe the slate clean uh we can erase the debt because oftentimes even if someone else forgives us we don't forgive ourselves and of course the problem with that, we, we think we deserve it, maybe, but the problem with that is we will um, continue bellicosity, and it will be bellicosity towards ourselves. <laughs> so, to forgive ourselves is to erase the debt. It is a surrendering, like allowing the rain to fall, and you get wet, and it wipes it all away. When you forgive others, it does the same thing. I forgive your debt. This, this unconscious keeping score that maybe I've done. And, of course, forgiveness frees the self. If I'm forgiving somebody else, um, our fear and our shame and our anger would say, I want to be able to hold this kind of anger against them over and against because... Without even knowing it, it's created an identity for myself, and it's given me energy. And 
Sometimes that energy is good to get things done. Anger is powerful that way. The problem is it's not sustainable. And if we're not careful, and usually we're not aware of it because it's unacknowledged, it knots itself up and becomes that, again, that bellicose eddy that just keeps circulating. So we wipe it away by allowing our debts to be wiped away or the debts that we're we're keeping uh, towards other people. And this is solely the purview, I believe, of uh, the green ray, the energy of love and understanding. So another way to look at this is, um, there's only two more slides, so I just want to, or maybe there's three, but, uh, so we have, remember I said, to know ourselves is the fundamental thing. So what we're talking about here is to know ourselves at each of the energetic centers. And I'm also going to say that accepting ourselves is the purview of the orange and yellow rays. And once we can accept ourselves, we're invited into the heart the green energy center, the love and understanding. And that's a new kind of knowing ourselves. I know myself now in green ray. And, and once that becomes more activated, once I can show myself love and understanding and compassion or show someone else, that is uh, that gives me the power to allow my debts to dissolve in the rain be wiped away in the rain of, of love and understanding. And, and so that's the purview of the green ray, the heart chakra. But that's not all, because then we are now, once we are moving into this forgiveness, then we actually, and that's a new kind of knowing, I know myself now as, as one who can forgive, one who is in the process of forgiving myself and others, you know? But we are then moving into a new kind of knowing of ourselves in the blue ray. In the blue ray. Ross says the blue ray is basically taking all of the green ray love and understanding and 360 view and then doing something with it. The blue ray is inaction, enacting the green ray's love and understanding. So you have love and understanding as a reception, passive in a sense, you know, receiving, absorption, and then the Blu-ray is, an, is extroversion, it's, it's action. And from there, we move towards balancing the self, to learn to balance ourselves. Um, now, I know that within the Catholic Church, for example, and that's my um, uh, faith of my his, history, I suppose, uh, you know, there, too much is made perhaps of, of the sacrament of confession, but I do believe that there's a lot of wisdom and truth in that. And um, though it is probably not understood by a lot of Catholics who do go to confession, there is this, once a person is, hears the words, I, you are forgiven, um, then the person who's confessing is that invited to do uh, amendments, or you could, they call it penitence, but the idea is to balance the self, to go and do something that, um, an act of service that the, the wisdom here, and it often doesn't get translated, I don't think, in the sacrament. The wisdom, though, is that once that slate is clean, what are you going to do that is one higher order of being that allows you to exist in the world with more expansive view. Um, Because if we've accepted ourselves, the second and third chakras of maybe I'm having a particular problem for these particular reasons, and I've forgiven myself, then moving into balancing myself would be to explore with another person, maybe a counselor or with yourself, your diary, whatever it is, your higher self in meditation, explore ways to uh, balance out our current way of living. So if I'm struggling with motivation, if I'm struggling with uh, 
starting that movement forward, you know, positive inertia, if I'm, if I'm really struggling on how to do that, then my life is likely in that moment not fully balanced, not balanced in a way that it could be. And sometimes balancing means setting boundaries. There's nothing wrong with that. Setting boundaries with people that um, we need to say goodbye to or at least limit, you know, Yes, I can do this. No, I won't do that. <laughs> Instead of yeah, all, always yes or no, you know, either or, but rather a both and kind of mentality. It's balancing. Um, could it be that I uh, have not moved towards a kind of discipline that would be good for me? Waking up at a certain time or meditating at a certain time or something like that that I know I want to do. Um, balancing ourselves would actually and that's the purview of the of the blue chakra, the throat chakra. That is the that would create for us a way that our new uh, we would we are newly born in from from the green ray. We're newly born into a new realm of consciousness, but we're not yet living from there. The blue ray would be living from there, and that's where you and I would have to uh, actively do something to make our external world um, a better place. And we have to have intention to do that. We intend to do that. Now, the Blu-ray, <clears throat> once I'm doing that, then Ross says the next step is to open myself, ourselves to greater love. Open ourselves to greater love. So again, know yourself, accept yourself, Balance yourself, that's, that's to know yourself in Blu-ray. And open myself to greater love is to know myself in indigo, the indigo ray right there. And that is faith. Why? Why is that faith? Because when you break down this idea to open myself more to love, if you really look at a deeper level than just what those words mean, or if you ask what those words mean, it means that I desire to open myself up. And Ra says, will and faith are the motor, the engine. Well, that's not what Ra says. I say that. But I mean, Ra is, I think, insinuating that. That will and faith are the two things that propel us forward on this path of knowing ourselves at each of the different chakra points, more expansive ways of seeing and knowing. So it means to desire to psycho-spiritually grow and develop. Do I desire this? And, I, and if I do, I need to state it. It's not enough to just have it rattle around, you know, uh, <clears throat> an amorphous cloud in the brain. I need to bring it to the level of rain. All of that moisture comes together and falls. You know, I need to get out there and state it. And that is often done. You can journal it. You can share it with somebody else. Um, but stating, I want to, I desire to grow and develop. I'm stating it out loud. Um, and that is important to have that intention. And that's will. Will, Ross says, is equivalent to desire. But then faith. And what is faith? Faith, I believe, is to trust that our desiring and our actions will bear fruit. So the last slide here I'll just share is if you can see in this diagram, we have the magician. The archetype of the magician is the archetype of the conscious mind. And the conscious mind is stating the desire to grow, open ourselves up more to love. But then, as you can see, uh, this statement is almost like a forward progression, but it's going forward into darkness, the darkness of the veil, because I can't see exactly how my desire will bear fruit in the future. And I can't even see it maybe right now. But I have to trust that my actions, <clears throat> my actions now and will in the future bear fruit. If I make that desire, then I'm trusting. That's faith. I'm trusting that my actions will bear fruit even if I can't see it or feel it, see? And where does this fruition, where does the actualization of this desire lie? Well, in location, it would be in the future. Uh, 
in time, and then a location in space, it's in the metaphysical, it's in time-space, in the astral, okay? So when you make a statement, I desire to grow, I desire to dot, 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 desire to serve the highest and best good, then you trust that your actions are bearing fruit. They will bear fruit, even if you can't see it or feel it in the moment. You trust that. And what that does is that in time-space, which time doesn't exist in the way, in linear way in, in the astral, that bearing, that, that desire begins to uh, come together, condensate, and then it will be brought into actualization as we continue in our actions. So desire is here. I'm making a desire and intention, and then I'm having faith in the future that this thing that I desire is coming towards me in the darkness of liminal space as I move towards it in the dark. So um, it's a lot of material. I hope uh, it was somewhat intelligible. Um, what I'd like to know now, if, if we could just do for like three minutes here before we um, sign out, uh, and then if we want, we can unpack this next week or, or we can or shelve it. You know, that's, that's fine too. But I'm just curious um, if you had any immediate reactions or responses Fred? One thought that I had when you first brought it up that was pretty interesting was that in the lower chakras, like when I saw that, I thought, what if, that, if in a sense you could say that's almost like a universal reality that we all bear witness to, the deep fear that turns into bellicosity and so on and so forth. And so the, the turning of from the third density to the fourth density is that we would have all of us would have an experience where we bear witness to a greater reality of love just as much as we bear witness to the great reality of fear and it's a choice and it's an intention that was just like the spark of hope just thinking wow can we all get there where we all experience love just like we all experience fear Mm-hmm. That was just a thought. Yeah. Yep. And that's what building forth is we're trying to do. <laughs> Troy? Ross Ross says that exactly that, Fred, that uh the reaction of the adept or the fully developed soul is to uh hostile catalyst is love. And uh Doug can probably say it better more exact than I just did, but uh, that's a raw statement. Thank you, Troy. Ken? Yeah, if, um, this is just fascinated and uh, energized and um, um, kind of confirmed things for me through throughout this. And it, it's interesting, Doug, because you shared some of these slides with me um, earlier and but you didn't walk through them but when i looked at them i understood it almost entirely just because even though i'm not conversant in the law of one what i am studying proves that the wisdom is the wisdom and and it doesn't really matter um the exact form that you get because the essence is always the one truth and to so all of this is consistent and throughout your presentation, I just kept seeing the parallels from the interpretation of the wisdom that I've been studying for two and a half years, um, which is um, taught by a wonderful teacher who's been teaching um, all sorts of uh, things, but including courses on the wisdom for four to five decades and uh, bases some of her teachings on work of Lucille Cedarcrans, who was a, a student of Alice Bailey's. And, but the information is, it, it tracks so clearly and it all makes sense. It also resonated entirely with things that are going on personally. And so all these things, you know, we still have to be human <laughs> during this incarnation. And we, and we, we don't get a free pass on the experiences 
just because you have some intellectual knowledge about how these things might work. We we're still that expression of consciousness that, that is going to have these experiences. And then to the point that Fred just made, the organization that I've been working with for three and a half years, um, the Institute for Global Transformation, one of our main things that we kind of try to stay focused on is uh, not a term that we originated by far, but we apply the term, the tipping point to that place that you kind of just described, Fred, where we'll know when we were there because we will have collectively, at least at a critical mass, made that shift from fear to love, for instance, is one of the characteristics. And it, it probably won't happen necessarily that one day it's kind of not understood that way. And then the next day, everybody on the planet at that time gets it. But thinking about things like at some point, the idea that the sun was the center of the solar system and not the earth, that just became the conventional wisdom because enough people got it. Or if you look at in our, I think just looking at the, the videos of most people in most of our lifetimes, cigarette smoking kind of went from a thing that was cool and accepted and everybody did it to now not there's still some people who smoke but it's not really that common anymore and so there is this kind of critical mass or tipping point and i think we're getting there and it's groups like the one i've been working with and you all and now we intersect and we kind of find each other and that builds this momentum to help facilitate working towards this critical mass where these ideas that used to be the province of the mystery schools and the very esoteric mm -hmm. <laughs> and the people that often didn't survive if they talked about it in the wrong places or to the wrong people. Um, well, with the internet and the time we live in now, et cetera, these, these are becoming much more common things. And the beauty of a presentation like this is that you, you keep it away from what, um, my teacher and other others refer to as the glamour where you, you've kept it out of that astral emotional realm and just present it as this is how it is let it sink in but you're not saying this is the only way or you know getting into all the the hype that otherwise um kind of distracts from what the message is so ken are you are you telling me awesome. fred is not glamorous no i'm just kidding <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm thinking about growing my beard out more after yeah. seeing this. Uh -huh. 